So although not scheduled to preach today, duty calls when a baby is born and you step in and do what needs to be done. So these are Pastor Campbell's words. And so uh, just picture Pastor Campbell standing in front of you here. I am not here. This is Pastor Campbell. Anyway, um, how many of you watch those incredible lightning shows the last couple of nights we had this last week, right? Monday night, Wednesday night. Anybody just shut the lights off and watch that fantastic display out the window? It was pretty dramatic, wasn't it? It really was. More, it sounds like, in, in store for later today. And as I pointed out in the children's message, they usually come with warnings, right? Um, so of late, I installed an app on my phone uh, from uh, NBC4, the weather app, along with a whole bunch of other stuff that comes my way from it. So I get those warnings. You probably do too. We get them on TV. We get them on the radio. Severe thunderstorm warning. Take refuge. Stay inside. Or when... Um, if that check engine light comes on in your car. <laughs> Best not to avoid that for too long. Take care of it, right? Or like we talked in the children's message too, if the fire alarm goes off, you're supposed to get outside. Evacuate the building. And we practice that here, don't we? About once a year, we'll actually have a real fire drill evacuation exercise to do that very thing. It's a warning, so we're ready and prepared in case of the real thing. That's right. And so to avoid all of these warnings, to go outside and run around when it's lighting, to just drive and drive and drive with your check engine light on, to stay inside when the fire alarm goes off, well, we do so at our own peril, right? Those warnings are there for our good. Danger is real, whether or not we choose to acknowledge and prepare for it. So last week when we uh, called Pastor Noss back into action and he was standing here in the pulpit before us, he talked about those signs that Jesus spoke of in Luke's Gospel from last Sunday. And today now, Jesus is talking about warnings as he sets his face to go up to Jerusalem. Luke's already told us where Jesus is headed and in is Jerusalem. And we know what's going to happen there because we live this side of history. We know what happens when Jesus gets there. How he's rejected by the religious leaders, the elders, and the scribes, and the Pharisees. How he is betrayed by one of his own. How he is handed over to be uh, crucified and gives his life on the cross. And on the third day, rises again from the dead. We know how that story ends. Thanks be to God. But Luke has reminded us here again of Jesus' destination. He's getting closer to his goal, and his time with his disciples is growing ever shorter. Did you hear that underlying sense of urgency in Jesus' warnings as he responds to that question about salvation? Will those who are saved be few? And Jesus says, 
strive to enter through the narrow door. Many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Those are sobering words, are they not? May God keep us from that day should Jesus say, I do not know where you come from. Jesus tells the people that they will miss out on that opportunity on the last day for life and salvation, for an eternal home in heaven. And that that door to life and salvation and heaven will eventually close. This side of heaven until Jesus comes again, we live in a time of grace when the gospel is being freely preached, calling all people, men, women, young, old, to the gift of life and salvation which Jesus alone can bring. But that time of grace will one day end and that door will one day close. This is what Jesus is telling us. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Truth is, people can and do reject that gift of life and salvation in Jesus. It might take the form of out and out unbelief, rejection, that way refusing to allow for the, re the uh, possibility of a restored relationship with God doesn't depend on human effort, but there's another way to reject that also, and it's also as great a danger, and that might be more appropriate, more fitting for us today and it involves living an unrepentant life. It's rejecting God's grace by refusing to acknowledge the need for it. I'm doing okay, God. You better focus on those other people over there. My life's pretty good. No real need to turn to you and repent. That can lead us into trouble when we reject God's design for our lives by contradicting that which we would have us do, namely turning from that stubborn, obstinate refusal to acknowledge that even as we confess together that we have sinned in thought, in word, in deed by what we have done and by what we've left undone. Right. And I think the best word for this thing called repentance comes from a military chaplain who told me many years ago that he thought of it in terms of about face. That is, you stop walking in this direction and you do a 180 and you start walking in a new direction. It's a change of heart, a change of mind that leads to a change of life. That is repentance that is worked in our hearts 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. This time of grace is indeed drawing closer and shorter. We don't know how much time we have until the Lord will come again or summon us to himself. So Jesus' warning is one we need to take seriously, and it involves repentance. It is this struggle against all that would draw us away from the Lord. A year from this October, October 31st, 2017, will mark the 500th anniversary of the Reformation as we will celebrate that in the life of our own congregation together with Lutheran Christians uh, throughout all the world and indeed with uh, Christians everywhere. So on that day, 500 years before October 31st, 1517, that's the day on which Luther nailed his 95 theses, his points of disputation with the church of his day, nailing those to the doors of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. Church is still standing there today. In fact, their gospel choir was among us here back in May, if you remember that. But the very first of those 95 theses is an important one. And it goes like this. The entire life of the believer is to be one of constant and daily repentance. That's the very first thesis. And it remains just as important for our lives today as it did in Luther's time, indeed for all time. Repentance is this struggle against sin, against all that would draw us away from the Lord. Following Jesus then, involves this struggle with repentance. So when Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door, it involves struggle. In fact, that's a better word than strive. Struggle. Following Jesus isn't an easy thing. It involves letting go, putting aside selfish interests, and keeping our eyes fixed on the one who loves us, who laid down his life for us. So this grace of God in Jesus Christ, it is for the unrepentant, believe it or not. God takes unrepentant, self-focused people and loves them and gives them faith and new life. And it begins in holy baptism, where we are marked with the cross of Christ, where we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, where our sins are washed away and we are recreated as a new person according to the image of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who's won that struggle for us. We still strive, we still struggle, but we cling to Jesus throughout our journey of faith because he's the one who has won that struggle in our behalf when he laid down his life on the cross. And now the Holy Spirit is working that ongoing, 
daily repentance in your heart and life and in mine as his beloved children. The life of the baptized child of God is one of constant and daily repentance. Following Jesus, who is that narrow door. Behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. As a baptized child of God in Jesus Christ, we hold on to the truth that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, holding fast to that with certainty, with confidence, with hope about which side of the door we're going to be on on that last day. Inside, not outside. And why is that? Because God saw fit to make his son Jesus to be last in order that we might be first, children of promise and hope in Jesus Christ. God turns it around and he welcomes us into that feast which has been prepared for all who trust in him from the foundation of the world. This great reversal doesn't come through anything I do or you do, but solely through the blood and merit of Jesus. As people whom God in Christ has saved, we're called then to respond to this gift, this amazing gift, by doing good to our neighbors around us. Like the psalm said, the Lord tells us, if I were hungry, I would not tell you because everything in the world is mine. We can really do no good for God because it all belongs to the Lord anyway. The good we can do is in the name of Jesus for our neighbor. That will bring praise and glory to the name of Jesus. Doing good. That's one of those five mission practices that we've been studying and talking about and engaging in as we join Jesus on his mission. Doing good isn't this colossal writing of injustices in the world. It can be, but it might be much closer to home and much more personal and everyday than we may think. Today, we have some in our congregation who are doing good by serving lunch at Carpenter's Shelter in Old Town for the homeless. That's doing good. Others are doing good by mucking out uh, mud and mold-infested homes in Louisiana and West Virginia and Ellicott City, places that have been ravaged by floodwaters over this summer. That's doing good. Our congregation is preparing to welcome a refugee family among us. Exactly when, we don't know, but we are preparing for that with people who've lost everything and who are seeking a new life in a new land with just the clothes on their back. That's good, we can do too. 
and it's something we can all engage in corporately together as well as individually wherever Jesus may lead us in our daily lives doing good. It's not always the big flashy dramatic stuff that hits the headlines and makes the media. It's going to be the common, quiet, ordinary, everyday aspects of doing good. Remember, little is much in the hands of Jesus. And so we serve as an agent of God's grace in our homes, in our neighborhoods, as we return to school, our places of work, doing good in the name of Jesus. So listen to that warning of Jesus today and strive to enter through that narrow door, through the cleansing blood of Jesus who has laid down his life for us. He himself is that door. Even as we hold fast in confident hope to that great day when Jesus will come again and by his grace welcome us into his eternal home and that feast which he has prepared. Amen.